0: Open your Bibles this morning, please, to Esther chapter 4, as we continue our series called For Such a Time as This, Esther chapter 4. On Tuesday, January the 24th, 1995, as a college freshman, I copied down the following words from Robert Hall Glover. Uh, Robert Hall Glover was a missionary uh, who served in China, Uh, in the late 1800s and 1900s, and I copied down these words. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. And beloved, those words resonated with me so many years ago, and they still resonate with me today. The power of one man or one woman who gives themselves unreservedly to the Lord to say to the Lord, here I am, Lord, send me Uh, to give oneself unreservedly to the master to be used as he sees fit. And as I've been studying Esther in preparation for our time together uh, during this uh, particular series, Esther was such a one. And in today's story, we're going to see how she made a decision that not only would impact her life, but possibly the lives of millions of people. Uh, but with 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 courage and conviction, she said, "I will go." And really, I've summarized our story here in Esther chapter four around three different things. But before we dive headfirst first into chapter four, let me refresh your memory. As to where we are in the story and what's going on in the story. So you found Esther chapter four, I hope. Just back up one verse, Esther chapter one chapter, rather, Esther chapter three, and look at verse thirteen. It says in Esther chapter three, verse thirteen, and the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces. Now watch this, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old. Little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to plunder their possessions. And so a death sentence had been issued for all the Jews. A government sponsored death sentence, a commanded genocide, if you will. And so we pick up the story there. A death sentence had just been spread throughout all the kingdom for all the Jews, young and old, babies. Old ladies, old men, everybody who is a Jew is to be put to death without mercy. And so we pick up the story there. We find ourselves in chapter 4. And I want you to notice, first of all, the sorrow that we find beginning in chapter 4 and verse 1 through verse 3. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Uh, Sackcloth, And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. And many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, if you remember the story, all of this is taking place because evil Haman was taking vengeance upon Mordecai. If you look back to chapter three again, we refresh our memory. Verses five and six of chapter three. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. Now, we talked about how Mordecai was right in what he did. What Haman wanted, what was commanded of him, was more than just mere reverence. It was worship, an unholy exaltation of Haman. And Mordecai refused to bow. And in doing so, he brought a death sentence upon himself, but he also brought a death sentence upon all the Jews. Now imagine that. Put yourself in Mordecai's sandals for a moment. He believes he's obeying God. He believes he's honoring God and not bowing and worshiping Haman. He knows that Haman despises and hates him, but he wakes up one day. And he's probably expecting, knowing that trouble's coming around the corner for him, for his stand, for what he's done. But when the trouble does come, he wakes up one morning and the trouble's there, but it not only involves him, but all of his people, all of the Jews. Haman decided to wipe all of them out. And so we find great sorrow, not only on Mordecai's part, but all the Jews. And you can understand that, can't you? Imagine tomorrow we wake up and our destined as they come December uh, the 15th. Every Bible believing Christian and all of their families are going to be put to death. The Old ladies, old men, young men, young women, middle age, everybody, your newborn child, everybody. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you'll be put to death. Imagine the sorrow. Imagine the mourning. Imagine the weeping and the wailing. And this leads us to the second scene of the story. And that is the struggle that we find in verses 4 through 14. Now remember, uh, Mordecai's out in front of the king's gate. He's dressed in sackcloth. He's out there weeping and wailing and mourning. Look at verse number uh, four of Esther four. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her and the queen was deeply distressed. And notice what she did. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him. But he would not accept them. Word reaches uh, Esther's ears that Mordecai is dressed in sackcloth. And uh, she wouldn't have that. She sends him a new set of clothes. She sends him a new suit. Maybe she was fearful he was going to come into the king's gate, which you were not allowed to do, wearing sackcloth. Or or maybe she was just embarrassed. You know, there's my cousin out there. You ever been embarrassed by your cousins? Maybe she's just embarrassed. I don't know. She said, I'm not going to have that. He's in sackcloth. Just send him a new set of clothes. I mean, she's the queen. Probably send a very nice set of clothes out to Mordecai. But you know what? He says, I don't want the clothes. He refuses the clothes. It seems that um, Esther reminds me of the way we deal with a lot of other people. Sometimes we try to deal with the external. We deal with the symptoms of the matter rather than going deep to the matter and dealing with the root of the problem. And finding out why are you dressed in sackcloth? Why are you mourning? Why are these things going? We just want to give you a new set of clothes. Well, notice what it says in verse 5. Then Esther called Hathak, uh, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. Now it's obvious that Esther knew nothing about this edict, this law that went out to kill her people. I mean, she's living in the lap of luxury, no doubt. She's the queen of the land. Uh, perhaps she's not even allowed to know what's going on in the real world. Uh, you know, her husband, the king, just wants her happy and, and ready and, and whatever he, he, he desires her to call her in. It seems she was insulated to the sorrow and the suffering that was going out and filling the kingdom. She was out of touch with their suffering. I often feel that way with our elected officials. Do you ever feel that way? They're out of touch with the real world. They're out of touch with real life. They're out of touch with what normal people on a day-to-day basis deal with. And for whatever reason, Esther was out of touch here. But aren't you glad, though, beloved, that we serve one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities? One who's tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. We serve one who's wept at the grave of a friend and one who's celebrated at a wedding of a friend. Hallelujah. What a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Esther is out of touch. Look at verse 6. So Hathok went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that happened to him. And the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther. So show it to Esther, explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for a people. So Hathak uh, returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Now, Mordecai didn't hold back. We see him retaking his fatherly role here. Take this to Esther. Explain it to her. Help her see it. Tell her to go and speak to the king on our behalf. And now here's where the struggle really begins to take place. Put yourself in Esther's sandals for a moment. Your people have been condemned to death. You are one of those people, but you've kept it a secret all this time. You've never revealed your heritage never revealed that you are a Jew. And now you're being asked to go before the most powerful man in all the world. And he's not a man you just walk into and say, hey, how's it going? In fact, walking in could literally mean death. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11. Then Esther spoke to Haha that gave him a command for Mordecai. And all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know, watch this, that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king, who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. Esther brings up two main reasons why she could not go into the king's presence. One was a legal reason and one was a personal reason. First of all, legally, you didn't just walk in uninvited. Because if you walk into the inner chamber and there's the king on his throne and he just ignores you, he just didn't look at you, he just sits there on his throne, you're taken out and put to death immediately. The only chance you have if you walk in uninvited is he puts out his golden scepter, and that means your life is saved. She says, Listen, if I go in, my life's in jeopardy, my life's in danger. From a legal perspective, I can't go in, but also from a personal perspective. Did you notice what she said at the end of uh, verse um, 11 there? Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. Now remember, he's got a large harem at his disposal. And apparently, Esther had not crossed his mind in a while. And uh, for 30 days, he's not called for her. Uh, uh, He's not wanted to see her. And now you want me to go in uninvited into the presence of the king. Obviously, Esther is struggling greatly here with fear. She's fearful at this moment. You ever been there? You know what God wants you to do. You know the right thing to do. But fear walks into your heart. And when fear walks into your heart and into your life, uh, fear begins to point out all the what ifs. What if this happens? And what if that happens? And fear begins to point out all the dangers and begins to rehearse those before you and say, well, if you do that, then what's going to happen here and what's going to happen there? And fear walked into her life. And she realized that my life is literally in jeopardy. If I do this thing. And a struggle begins to rage in her life, just as the struggle often rages in our lives. I mean, one moment Esther is a carefree queen, but now she's being called upon to act with courage to potentially lay down her life for her people. And by the way, that's a lot to process, and that's a lot to ponder. And that's easy for us to read that and say, oh, Esther, do the right thing, but we're not Esther. But sometimes we have the same struggles, don't we? God leads us. We know what's right. We know what we ought to do. And fear walks into the room and into our lives. Look at verses 13 and 14. And Mordecai told them to answer, Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time. Now watch this next phrase. Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Wow. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai sends word to her, telling her basically don't try to hide behind your crown. Don't try to hide behind your position. He reminds her, listen, your life's already in jeopardy. The death sentence is upon you as well. And then we find something remarkable in verse 14. It seems that this book of Esther, where God's name is never mentioned, but his fingerprints are all over it. It seems that God has brought it to the equation. Did you notice that? He says, if you don't do it, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. What place would that be? It could be none other than Jehovah, right? God's going to bring it. But who knows if God didn't put you at the right place at the right time for such a time as this. Notice here, he's beginning to think about the promises of Jehovah. It appears he's beginning to acknowledge God's sovereignty, but then he goes a step further and begins to connect the dots. Hey, Esther, maybe this is why you're the queen after all. Imagine, here's this orphan girl. She's brought up by her cousin and there's all these people, that, all these other ladies that she wins the, the crown. and Here she is and now our people are in jeopardy. You're here for such a time as this. Coincidence? I think not. Providence? Absolutely. Now listen, even before the threat surfaced, God had made preparations. He'd made preparations by making a Jew, though a secret one, making a Jew the queen of the land. You remember that statement I shared with you in a previous message? We serve a God. We serve a God who designs our deliverance before man can begin to devise our destruction. He's he's at work in our lives. He's at work in our world. And the struggle is real at times. And fear is busy casting doubt. But beloved, in this instance it will not be victorious. We notice that there is sorrow, obviously. And there is a struggle, but praise the Lord, there is surrender in verses 15 through 17. Look at what the scripture says in verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. Now notice this next phrase. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. There are those who question this. And it's interesting. You go back and you read the commentaries and you read the scholars and you read about the story of Esther and Esther herself and the different ideas that surface. There are those who question it. But I believe that fear gives way to faith at this moment. When she says, if I perish, I perish, some say, well, she's just resigning. Well, if I perish, I perish, you know, no, I don't see that here. I, I see this as faith speaking. If I perish, I perish. I see determination. I see a resolve in her that she's going to do this regardless of the consequences. She's going to step forward and she's going to do it. And she calls for a fast for all the Jews present in Shushan. Three days, no food, no drink whatsoever. And she says, I'm going to fast and the maids, my maids are going to fast. Now, notice it says there for people to fast. But the question is, what about prayer? Because some people say, well, she called for a fast, but not prayer. Well, I don't think so. Some think this excludes prayer, but I don't think so. What would be the point? Fasting and prayer go together. Fasting and prayer go to 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 abstain from food or drink or whatever it is you're abstaining from gives you opportunity to spend more time in prayer. Fasting and prayer go together like peanut butter and jelly, uh, like Laurel and Hardy, like Baptist and fried chicken. Those things uh, just go together. Fasting and prayer. And I believe what we have here is we see a people crying out to God. Go back to verse 3 in this chapter. Chapter 4, verse 3. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews. Notice the next part. With fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. I think if anything would get a people to cry out to God, there would be a death sentence upon you. And I think that's what we have. They're crying out to God. And I may be wrong, but I'll take my chances. I believe they were crying out to God. Who else were they going to turn to? Who else was going to help them? And Mordecai knew that there was a Jew in the palace, perhaps placed there by God's almighty hand. And there she is. And he appeals to her He says, listen, go intercede for your people. And Esther says, after a struggle, yes, I will go. And if I perish... I perish. One lady put in the right place at the right time for such a time as this. Now, beloved, have you ever stopped and given any thought to your own life when it comes to these matters? You realize, beloved, that uh, God didn't ask you um, when you wanted to be born. He didn't call you in one day as a. Little preborn baby, can I say it that way? By the way, have you heard the ignorance that's going on with the Doritos commercial? People upset that they humanized the fetus. Well, what do you think it is? Life is precious, but God didn't call you in as a preborn baby before you were born. I said, Hey, where would you like to be? Born? When would you like to be born? And I said, Well, I would like to be born. Uh, April 5th, 1976. That's a good day, by the way. April 5th, uh, 1976. No, he didn't ask me that. And he didn't say, well, let me ask you this. Um, who would you like your parents to be? No, didn't ask me that. Well, where would you like to live? No, didn't ask me that. Didn't ask you that. As far as I know, we didn't have a choice in it. Do you have a choice in it? Anybody ask you? He had no say whatsoever. You and I showed up naked and afraid, but we were born for such a time as this. God chose to place you and me upon the earth at this point in history, and he puts you at a certain place in a certain family, and he wants to use your life. Now, he doesn't need us, by the way, don't ever forget that. Even Mordecai said to Esther, what, if you choose not to do it, a deliverance will arise from some other place. God doesn't have to use us. He doesn't need us. But God delights to use us. And beloved, God probably will not call you and me to save millions of Jews. But he has called all of us that are believers to reach out to those who are far from him with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's called us to share the good news that Jesus saves. And so the question today for you and for me, because we're far removed from Esther, we're far removed from this particular kingdom We're reading about here in Esther. But here we are for such a time as this. The question is this, beloved. Where is your kingdom right now? Where is your kingdom right now? One author that I wrote put it this way. We all have different kingdoms. Each of us has been led to a different destination by a different path, journeying through unique circumstances to get where we are today. Where you are right now, where he has you in each moment, that is your kingdom. That very place is the piece of God's kingdom he's entrusted to you. Whether you believe your kingdom is substantial or completely irrelevant uh, is still yours and it is still his. And you are still his. And he's brought you here on your journey for such a time as this. Make no mistake, it's no accident that you're here. It's no accident you were born at the time you were born to the parents you were born to, to the place where you were born, the country where you were born. For this time in history, God desires to use your life where you are for his honor and his glory. The question is this. Will you surrender like Esther did? Will you say to the Lord, here I am, Lord? Yes, I know it's difficult at times. It's hard. Fear screams at you and it wants you to quit. That God desires to use your life like He used Esther's life. And listen, don't shy away because she's a queen who saved millions. And you're just one who may only reach one. That one is precious in His sight. And you are precious in His sight. And God cares about you. And God cares about His work, yes. But God cares about His work, man. And God has placed you here for such a time as this. And you're sitting there maybe you think, well, preacher, really... What can I do in a sea of seven billion people? I mean, think about that. We can't even get our arms wrapped around that number. What, what? One among seven billion people. What can I do? Well, that's a good question. How can we make a difference? It reminds me of a story I read long ago. It was during my college days as well. I saw it on a poster at a business I went to. So I did learn something in college. I took away two things. A quote and a poster I saw <laughs> The wall of business. But it said a small boy lived by the ocean. And he loved all the creatures of the sea, and especially he loved the starfish. And uh, he spent much of his time exploring the seashores and walking up and down. You know how much fun that can be. And one day he learned there was going to be a minus tide that would leave the starfish stranded on the sand. And the day of the tide came... And he went down to the beach and he began picking up the starfish and he began tossing them back into the sea. And an elderly man who lived next door came to the beach to see what he was doing. And the little boy said to this elderly man, he proudly declared, I'm saving the starfish. I'm saving the starfish. Well, the neighbor saw the stranded starfish and he shook his head and said, I'm sorry to disappoint you, young man. But if you look down the beach one way. There are stranded starfish as far as the eye can see. And if you look the other way, it's the same. He said to this little boy, he said, one boy like you isn't going to make much of a difference. And the boy looked at this elderly man and he thought about it for a moment. Then he reached his small hand down to the sand and he picked up a starfish and he tossed it into the ocean and he said, I sure made a difference for that one. Seven billion people. Can you reach one? With the love of Christ? Can you reach two? Maybe three? Maybe four or five? Your life is impacting many people, whether you realize it or not. You don't live to yourself. You live for the Lord and his honor and his glory. And live for the good of others. Especially reaching with the love of Christ. And all this brings me back around to where we started, to Robert Hall Glover's words, where he said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. You know why? Because I'm living for such A time as this. Father, we are grateful for this story. And we're grateful that Esther resolved to step forward and give her life to save your people. Father, even more so, I'm grateful today that Jesus Christ stepped forward. And gave his life to save all of us who would turn from our sin and place our faith in him. Father, we believe that you are sovereign, that you're in charge. And Lord, you have placed us here at this moment, at this time in history. And you desire to use us for your honor and your glory. And Father, I pray if anyone's listening to me right now. And they've never even taken the step of faith to salvation. I pray even now your Holy Spirit to work in their life. Show them their sin. Show them their need of a Savior. And bring them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, for those of us who know you as Savior and Lord, you desire to use us every day for your glory. Father, there might be a struggle raging in the life, in the life of one of your Children here even this morning where they're struggling, maybe fear, doubt in their life. They know what you want them to do. They know what you've called them to do. But the struggle is real. Father, I pray as we sing this closing song, they would gain victory as they surrender and bow the knee, as the choir sang. As they bow the knee and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. My life is yours. I'm here for such a time as this. I want to bring honor and glory to you. And Father, we'll be sure that you receive all the honor and all the glory and all the praise for what you're about to do in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray the invitation is clear today. If you need to be saved, we invite you to come. We'd love to help you. If you want to come and surrender something to the Lord today, would you come and kneel at this altar and would you pray and give that to him as we sing 275? I surrender all all to Jesus. I surrender all to Him I freely give. The invitation is before you. Would you move out? Would you step out in faith? Would you turn your back on fear and step out in faith today and say, Yes, Lord, I'm here. I want to be used for such a time as this. Let's stand together, sing 275. I surrender all.